Good morning. All right. If you guys will break out your Bibles, if you still carry one of those, or at least open your app, look at something that would be something you're going to be taking home with you so you can remember some things the Lord showed you this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. We'll do something a little bit different. If you guys are joining us uh, either online or you're joining us this morning, and maybe this is the first or second time you've been here with us, uh, we're, we're doing something that's not unique to what we do. We're studying through an, a, a book of the scriptures. And one of the things that's going to afford us to do, and this is an encouragement for you as you read, sometimes when you and I read the Bible, and I've gotten a lot of help from scripture, when I've got an issue going on in my life, and I go to the Bible to find out about it, what does God say about this? I have, I've learned lots just by, by doing that, doing life and then going to the Bible. But there's another way to go to the Bible, and that's just to go to the Bible with a kind of a blank piece of paper and let the Bible talk to you about whatever it wants to bring up today. And when you read through the scriptures, it will do that for you. So in Hebrews, you could have this book bring something up that wasn't on your mind, but it's very important to your walk. Or even more challenging, because some of us learn to do this over time, it may bring up something we kind of don't like for it to be brought up. And yet the Bible sees it as important and it wants to bring it up with us. And, and so we're just going verse by verse through these chapters in Hebrews. Um, there's, Hebrews is very cyclical in some of its thinking. So it's almost like, you know, we're progressing by doing this. So we kind of move forward when we go back and we move forward when we go back because it keeps bringing up things that it's already said and, it, and it's going to say something on its way to saying it multiple times again. And so that's, that's kind of what you get as you read through Hebrews. So to capture that today, I'm really not in one particular passage I put on your notes there. We're just going to be in Hebrews 3 and 4. So we're going to be sitting in these two chapters together. But here's what's trying to take place. The strategy of God in the writing of Hebrews is trying to speak to God's people under this banner of the Hebrews and to help them not to miss out. Right, that's where they've been. They're in danger of missing out. They are missing out. And, and when you start missing out on things that God has for you, doubt begins to come in behind that. Fear begins to come in behind it. Other things begin to become more important. So in this little two chapters here, we're going to get pick up phrases that they heard words that didn't benefit them. How about that? How about if I were to tell you, hey, um, I got this really cool book here, but it's really not going to help you. You know, we've got a bunch of them available in the bookstore. I don't know if you want to use them as a doorstop when you get home. It's not going to help you. That'd be like, What? That pastor just said that about the Bible. But how many of you know in the Bible, we're about to hear about people's lives who this word didn't help them. That's a little scary, isn't it? Right, that there are words from God, inspired and powerful, and it just didn't help these guys. And then there's a, another aspect that's gonna get brought up in these two chapters where these people failed to enter into something that God had. The Bible calls it God's Sabbath rest. It's like a place, an existence that God prepared for them. But then he turns around and says, hey, there's a group of people who failed to enter that. So there's 
a, an audience here that doesn't benefit from God's word and fails to enter into something that God had created for them. So this word is designed to help them not continue that story. And it's for us today to make sure that doesn't become our story, right? So let me read through some aspects under the umbrella. Here's our title today is the hearing impaired heart. Hearing, seeing, and knowing not. Hebrews 3, verse 7. I'm just going to pick up a few of these because, again, he says this cyclically several times. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Right, so there's a little bit of an amazement in the tone of voice here because you're gonna notice what's being described are people who heard something and saw something. It wasn't that they didn't hear or see anything. And therefore, they had to try and do life. They weren't hearing a thing. They weren't seeing a thing. No, God says, no, they heard his voice. They saw his works for 40 years. And he accentuates that. It wasn't like, hey, they got this little blip of a moment. For 40 years, I was your, I was your teacher. I was your God. I was doing things in front of you for 40 years. And yet, you're hearts were hard. You didn't receive. So there's a connection here to the, to the human heart. Do not harden your hearts. The issue is not whether we're hearing things or seeing things. Remember, uh, Jesus Christ was the ultimate teacher. Nobody could say things with more meaning, more power, more force, more cut to the heart. Judas Iscariot was a disciple of Jesus for three years. He sat under the finest teaching that ever existed. And yet his heart did not respond. He heard things. Did he, did he not hear what everybody else heard? Of course he did. Hebrews 3, <clears throat> verse 15. As it is said, <clears throat> today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those? Who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And then again, Hebrews 4 verse 2. For good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then again in verse 7 of chapter 4. Again, he points a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. All right, now, there's three groups of people here for us to pay attention to. Right? There is this Hebrew audience that God is reaching into their world, and he is, he's giving them insight about something that could happen to them, and he's warning them. But then he's going to reach back to another audience in the wilderness who walked in a chapter of God with them and their life situation produced the same effect. So 
Moments of discouragement, things aren't going your way. They're taking too long. You're having to endure. That's what the Hebrews are going through. And, and the writer sets in front of them something for you and I to be humbled by and aware of. You could be just like them. And he speaks to the Hebrews and he says, you guys could be just like these who came before you. And he reaches back into Psalm 95 and he reaches back into the story of walking in the wilderness with all the uncertainties and fears, struggles and having to trust God in ways that was going on in their life. All that stuff produced in them a moment where they stopped truly hearing. Oh, they were hearing for 40 years and they were seeing for 40 years and they were listening but it wasn't doing anything for them. It was failing to benefit them. Right, now you and I live in a chapter. We're not in the wilderness. We're in somewhere worse than a wilderness. We're in America. Do you know what I mean by worse? All right, I need to publish this and stick it in the, in the lobby you to grab a copy of it. A Charles Spurgeon message on being tested by prosperity. The reality of most people's lives is you are probably more likely to go wayward in prosperity than you are in the wilderness. The difficulty of life does something to us different than easy street and everything's going my way. So you and I live in this moment that it's its own unique geography. It's, it's not the wilderness. It's abundance. It's a lot. We have a lot in our lives. And that's hard to manage because our hearts like a lot of stuff. And unlike maybe walking through an endurance period where you have to endure, because you usually endure because things aren't going your way. That takes a certain you know, posture of heart, but to have a lot, to have too much is a test on the heart that's really, really difficult to manage. And ours is that. And then God speaks in that moment. God speaks into the noise of that moment. And we're hearing a lot of things. A lot of things appeal to us. Words, we're listening, we're hearing, we're seeing stuff. We live in the information age. We are drowning in voices, drowning in information that will supposedly help us and answer every heart's longing and do something for us in our lives. And it's possible that what's happening in all that noise is our ears are hearing things that our hearts have stopped hearing. And that's a dangerous spot, right? Pete Grieg wrote a book on how to hear God, and he acknowledges some of this in our world today. He says, prior to Gutenberg's invention of the printing press in 1450, it had taken months and even years to transcribe a single text onto parchment. It's estimated that a single book was worth thousands of dollars in today's currency. After the invention of the printing press, it's estimated that the amount of information ordinary people could access began to double every hundred years. And then every 50. By the end of the 20th century, it was doubling every seven months. And this was before the internet really took off. Today, I can fit 3,000 books on a single Kindle device. And there are 33 million titles available to me right now on Amazon. Most for less than the price of an hour's work at minimum wage. 
The sight of a book today rarely makes us makes our hearts beat faster with excitement and expectation, let alone reverence and awe. Exhausted and numb, drowning in data. Would somebody put that on a bumper sticker? And just while we're all inside, just stick it on all of our cars. Exhaust, hi, I'm Keith. I'm exhausted and numb and drowning in data. We have lost the art of reading wisely and well. We no longer know how to interact reverently humbly and slowly with a worthwhile text, even the Bible. So there is, I wrote this in your outline, there is today our own kind of hearing that doesn't hear and seeing that doesn't see. I'm in touch with so much information, you can amen me on this, and more is pressing in, right? As soon as I done with that news article that caught my attention, there's another one in the queue, And there's like 18 more behind it and they're all waiting for me. And then there's an email, but then there's another email and another email and there's a bunch of texts and, and then there's news feeds. And then if you're a Twitter person, whatever that thing's called now, all this stuff is waiting for us and it's pressing in. Thus, I completely forget things or they slip into insignificance with regretful ease. Anybody else got that problem going on? So can you imagine hearing something from God that's designed to penetrate my being and transform me. That's not a Google search. That's not a brief exchange. Those of us who have turned hearing into this thing that we can forget it before the last syllable stops echoing, we're going to be challenged to really hear God's word. And there's a warning in this passage about it. Remember Jesus, and this is not new to the people who have devices in their pockets. When Jesus spoke to crowds, he would use this phrase often, wouldn't he? He who has ears, let him hear. How many of you guys know Jesus wasn't talking about your auditory system in that moment? He, he, he wasn't saying, hey, I know there's a lot of deaf people in the audience today, but those of you who do have ears, I hope you hear what I'm saying. Can you hear me in the back? Can you hear me? How many of you guys know that's not what Jesus was saying? He was saying, you're going to hear something that's going to travel through here, but I hope you hear it. That's what you really need to do is hear it. Listen to how the scriptures speak about the heart in relation to what we hear. Luke chapter 24, disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them. Remember this story? And he interacts with them and Jesus does a little Bible study with them and he opens up the scriptures to them. Listen to what they say. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Listen, there's, there's head involved in that walk with Jesus and there's heart involved in that walk with Jesus. The head, the mind, the intellect, the processing of syllables and the thinking through some concepts. Oh, they did that. But that's not what's drawn out in this passage. It's their burning hearts that gets the attention in this passage. They heard words. They walked with Jesus. They heard something, but their hearts were burning inside of them because they were hearing on the inside, not just through their ears. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, open, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 
I love that word. It's wonderful, actually, in another translation. Wonderful things. Um, For me to call what my eyes are about to see wonderful does not come from the eyes, does it? It comes from the heart. It is a heart that is listening and seeing. When my heart starts to see things, my heart is the thing that provides for me Wonderful. Did you see that? Oh my God. That's coming from my heart seeing something, not just my eyes and not just my ears hearing something. My heart needs to get in the game. And that's what Hebrews is concerned about. Pete Gregg goes on and says, the heart is more important than the mind. I emerged from undergraduate studies in theology and sociology with a head full of knowledge about the Bible and a diminished capacity to hear God speak through its pages. My times of Bible study were just that, times of dry, dutiful study. In learning about God's word in general, I seem to have lost my ability to hear his word to me personally. What's he describing? I don't hear him here. I'm not affected anymore by what I read. I read words. I know I'm reading words. I see sentence structures. I can point out the topic there, but my heart isn't hearing something. The medieval Franciscan Bonaventure said that we all have three sets of eyes. The eyes of the body, through which we see physically. The eyes of the mind, through which we reason. And the eyes of the heart, through which we gain spiritual insight. I knew that I needed to rediscover the art of reading the Bible with the eyes of my heart, not just with the eyes of reason, so that God could speak to me in whatever way he saw fit. Right? Remember, you go back and you visit Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. The problem wasn't with them hearing something. The problem wasn't with them being in a meeting where they heard something, right? Today, if you hear his voice, they heard something. Hebrews 3, 9, your fathers saw my works for 40 years. They saw something, something impressive. It was the works of God. Those who heard and yet rebelled. So they heard some, but yet in their hearts, they still rebelled. The message they heard did not benefit them. It doesn't say they didn't hear anything. It says what they did here didn't help them. Today, if you, and this is where this writer in Hebrews shows up in the Hebrews audience, and he needs to show up for us today this way too. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not leave your hearts at a distance. Do not leave your hearts out of the exchange. I love that. It's a great phrase when you think it through this way. Take these things to heart. You've heard that phrase? Take it to heart. Beware. Do not think. I mean, Hebrews is going to dance all over presumptions as Christians. We think about things too lightly. It's like we're biblically ignorant. So the idea that I could be in a meeting, I could be a Christian born again by the Holy Spirit... And have stuff that reaches my ears that doesn't get taken to heart. This is not a fake book. Hebrews is not like, oh, it's the one theological message that doesn't get along with the rest of the Bible. No, it does. 
That's a real condition for us. It's why the Bible warns us. There are like five or six, I can't remember, warnings in Hebrews. They're real warnings. And I have to treat them that way. So I need to know there's something about my heart that can become impaired and it's hearing. And I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing stuff, but I'm not hearing stuff. I'm seeing things, but I'm not really seeing them. Right? I wrote in your outline there, there is a hearing that doesn't hear, a listening that doesn't learn, and a seeing that doesn't see. And if I'm troubleshooting this issue, and I should be, the trouble is with the heart more than the eyes or the ears. Remember, Jesus had this exchange one day with religious people. Religious people who would have been around religious information, which means they would have been around the writings of Scripture. They would have been around gatherings of fellow believers. And Jesus spoke this to them in Hebrews 15. He said, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, right? Do you see what these guys are up to? Teaching as doctrines, the commandments of God, of men, I'm sorry. So you have a setting here where the heart is Jesus' concern, but on the practice piece, these guys are practicing. They're going through motions. They're doing stuff like this. There's somebody in this exchange who's standing there with a microphone and he's teaching doctrines. They attend meetings where people teach doctrines. That's what's going on right here. They even honor God with their lips. They can have a conversation in the forum that sounds like, bless God, hallelujah. God did this this week. God did that this week. And they can, they can minister something that sounds, hey, that sounds like it's in the neighborhood. That sounds right. They even have something that they call worship taking place. There's a liturgical exchange. How many guys remember you had a relationship with God where you went to church, perhaps weekly, and you later came to realize there wasn't an ounce of worship going on in your life? How many guys have that story? Right? That's those people out there, isn't it? Right? You used to be one of them. I used to be. I, that's never me anymore. And it's nobody here. Don't, don't we praise God for that? That's not how we read the Bible, is it? Right? There's a real possibility that, because this is the whole reason, right? This is a book. Hebrews is a book written to believers. It, it's, it's like inviting the inspired writers show up to us at Lakeview Christian Center today. He's not going to open this book up and say, now listen, I've got a lot of ideas here, but really none of it's for you because you're Christians. You love Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you. So I'm just going to read this anyway because I'm sure it applies to somebody out there. That's not how we read the Bible, right? This Bible is written to us. It recognizes we're going to have to endure some things. We're going to go through our own wilderness. We're going, to, we're going to be tested by prosperity. And all those things can do something to how effectively our hearts learn to listen. Jesus goes on right after this statement he makes. He says, and he called the people to him and he said to them, 
Hear, right? This is the next thing he says after this. Hear and understand. Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I uh, love that. Can you imagine Jesus is holding a meeting? He decides to break out this topic, shares all these thoughts, and his disciples get him on the side and go, oh, I don't think that went real well. <laughs> I don't think they liked what you just had to say. Because he called into question the condition of their hearts. Not the practices on the outside, but he says something here. Hear and understand. There is an interaction with the things we hear from God. My heart needs to interact with what my ears hear, what my intellect comes in contact with, what my eyes see. My heart needs to interact with it. It's interesting you use the heart. The heart's such a central thing to our existence, isn't it? The heart plays this unique role in our lives. It, It takes, you know, hey, my... Glad my nose can breathe in oxygen, but can I just say if my heart doesn't do anything with that oxygen, how long will I last? Right? Not long. Right? The, the, the good of that oxygen is going to be taken by my heart and transferred into every cell in my body. It's going to transfer life into my whole existence. So when Jesus interacts with the scriptures, interact with the condition of our hearts, it's, it's interacting with the thing that transfers God's living word into all of our existence. So when my heart stops hearing, that doesn't mean I'm not breathing, but my heart has somehow been cut off from what's being taken in. When that happens, death is at my doorstep. Right? That's true physically, but it is also true spiritually. So when we stare into this issue in Hebrews, the writer in Hebrews reaches back to Psalm 95 and and pulls a story about the heart of those wandering in the wilderness, right? So here's a description of the wandering wilderness heart. But Psalm 95 is really an amazing psalm. It's it's almost like a contrast psalm. It, It starts off with what it would look like for a healthy heart to interact with God. And it ends with a warning of what happens if your heart stops interacting with God, right? Here, listen to Psalm 95. This is a display of a healthy heart. Oh, this is not what gets quoted in Hebrews though, right? This is the beginning of the Psalm that does get extensively quoted in Hebrews. Psalm 95, verse one. Oh, come, right? Whenever you have an oh, right? Pause for a moment, right? We, oh, happy day. It's, it's ready, ready to launch you, right? You get a little bit of a warning. Whenever you hear, oh, do not take this casually. Get up on your toes. Get ready to fly. Oh, right? Oh is, is an expression like that. Oh, come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him in songs of praise. Right? What are these words? If you collect these words together, there's singing, there's joyful noises, there's thanksgiving, there's praise. What is that? I would just put all that under the umbrella of affection. Right? A healthy heart is an affectionate heart. 
It has this stuff in it. It came this morning. If a healthy heart showed up here, maybe we got troubles. Maybe we're in the wilderness. Maybe we're going through some difficulties. But if a healthy heart shows up, it brings this with it. A healthy heart wants to sing and make a joyful noise. It, it wants to give thanks to God. It praises him. It's an affectionate heart toward God, which is rather helpful, isn't it? Right? If you went to your doctor and he did a blood, blood workup and he extracted something from your heart and he wanted to test its health, its, its hearing, how well is it hearing, it would be looking for these things. Does your heart sing? Does it make joyful noises to God? Is it full of thanksgiving, amazement about God's goodness toward you? Does it praise him? Listen, if these things are not present in my heart, I'm becoming hearing impaired in my heart. I'm not hearing these things. And if I'm hearing God in my heart, there is a gratitude. No matter how difficult life is, no matter how much it doesn't answer to my expectations, no matter what's going on, there's still something in me that wants to sing and wants to have joy toward God. When that goes away, beware. My heart is becoming unhealthy. It will soon stop hearing things. Verse Four, in his, wait, back up, I'm sorry, verse three. Songs of praise, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. What is that? Well, that's an impressed heart. That's a heart that's just thinking impressed with God. Right? And that can be a little bit of a challenge when life gets our attention and we're, quote, impressed by how hard that is, how threatening that is, how much I don't know how to figure that out or fix that. Right? That can impress us. But this heart is impressed with God. He is great. He's a great God and a great king. And the depths of things just fit in his hands like they're nothing. Wow. That's who this God is. The sea is his. For he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, right? Let us respond to him. Let us express something to him. The heart, when it is healthy, is expressive. Don't think for a second. That if on the outside of my life, now within some constraint of maybe your personality at some level, but your personality should be expanding in these categories. If I'm this on the outside, sourpussed and critical and complaining, and I can't seem to rejoice in God or find any expression, right? These are expressions, worship. Bowing down, kneeling in awareness that this God is holy and amazing. He's in a different league than me. I, I feel the need to just get as small as possible before him. If that never goes off in me, my heart has already stopped hearing. Because I don't hear the greatness of God anymore. You know what's going to come behind that? The words that are in Hebrews 3 and 4. 
rebellion and disobedience and unbelief are soon to follow. When the heart stops hearing things, that starts to become our experience. The heart, in verse 7, is endeared toward God. For he is our God. This incredible being that freaks us out and amazes us. He's, he's our God. We are endeared to him and he to us. We are the people of his pasture. We belong to him and the sheep of his hand. And then the turning point that Hebrews picks up. Today, if you hear his voice, take it to heart. All right, that's what this is going to say. Don't let all that wonder be something that you just let it sit on the surface, on the pages, on some book, on a shelf. But your heart didn't hear these things. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah on the day at Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. They saw something and they still put me to the test. Put me to the test. You imagine you're calling the living, glorious, eternal, all-powerful God to answer to you and your ideas and what you call good and you should have done this and where and where were you? That's who they are in this moment. For 40 years... God says, I loathed that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. For 40 years, you saw my ways and you didn't know my ways. Why didn't they know my ways? Because their heart goes astray. Their heart stops seeing. Does that mean God didn't show up? He didn't do anything? No, he did stuff. Their heart stopped seeing it. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And we'll look at that next week. Hebrews takes that up in a big way. Listen, this is, this is huge. This is why the Bible, Hebrews, is another version of, of Proverbs 4 when it speaks to us and it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart. Your heart, not your church attendance, not the Bible that you own, not some podcast that you listen to, right? This is obviously pointing to something more deep than just seeing and hearing some things. Although you do need to see and hear some things, don't you? But be aware, this is trying to get into our world and say, you can see a bunch and you can hear a bunch and be deaf on the inside and not have seen anything. I think I'll put a question in your outline. What what does this mean? Keep your heart. For from it flow all the other issues of life. What What does that mean? I mean, it's a big statement, isn't it? If there's this one spot that everything else that dots the landscape of my life is informed by this one spot. Boy, that's, that's exactly what this verse is trying to say. How much are you paying attention to that one spot? It's feeding and informing everything. Well, what is that one spot? 
I would say your affections are in that one spot because your heart is. And your, infe- your affections are informed by what I would call your value system. Quite simply, I'm affectionate toward the things that I value, toward the things that are really, really vibrant and important to me. And that's what this whole encouragement in Hebrews and in Proverbs is trying to tell us. Be careful about your value system, what your heart treasures. So I know when I use the term value system, it, it can get lost in today's world and today's noise. You know, almost like it's, it's a set of morals and those morals may or may not be in date. They may be old fashioned. They may be something from history or a tradition that's not mine. You know, those are those things that your grandmother and, and that generation put on you or the church, the institutions like this impose a value system on people. Uh, everybody's got a value system. Before you critique the ones you don't like, ask yourself a really, really hard question. How'd you build yours? What informed the things that you call valuable? I don't know if I put this in your outline, but here's what we're doing. We're constructing our value system. It's where we put our hopes, our dreams, our longings for pleasure, our longings for the good life, our longings for some kind of reward. And whatever that is, a relational reward, a financial reward, an ease reward. We're looking for something. We might be people who aren't looking so much for razzle-dazzle on the outside as much as we're looking for security and safety. And that informs my value system. The stuff that I do every day of my life that I pay attention to, that I'm worked up about, is about everything that threatens me. That's my value system. And I make sure and I protect myself. From this could happen or that could happen. And listen, this could make you some crazy religious person who you're in the gym every day because why? You're going to die one day? Can I just let you know there's not a gym membership that can alter that? I'm not saying don't try and be healthy, but are you obsessing over that? We can obsess over all kinds of things because our value system has taught us certain things are important. And as soon as that gets established in our hearts, we'll make time for it. We'll give attention to it. We'll spend energy on it. We'll get around other people who write cool books about those things and who want to talk about them as well. That becomes, where did that all come from? All that stuff. Because it's got to show up in my schedule. It's got to be in my weekend somewhere. Where did it come from? It came from my heart that was taught by something to value something as really, really important. Can I just tell you, you're in a moment where Jesus Christ, make it personal, and what he is doing in building his kingdom is becoming less and less valuable to people, even to Christians. Jim Davis and Michael Graham are pastors who have written a book just got released in August called The Great Dechurching. They say this, in the United States, we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. Remember, religious shifts happen because value shifts happen. As tens of millions of formerly regular Christian worshipers nationwide have decided 
they no longer desire to attend church at all. These are what we now call the de-churched. About 40 million adults in America today used to go to church, but no longer do, which accounts for about 16% of our adult population. For the first time in the eight decades that Gallup has tracked American religious membership, more adults in the United States do not attend church than attend church. This is not a gradual shift. It is a jolting one. More people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians from the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and Billy Graham crusades combined. Adding to the alarm is the fact that this phenomena has rapidly increased since the mid-1990s. Why would people do that? Why would they go from being in this kind of a place to, uh, I'm just going to be there every once in a while? Because I've got other stuff to do. I've got other things to pursue. Would you, you want to jettison this in order to pursue that? Not really, but yeah, that is what I'm doing, right? Then it is what the de-church world is doing. And it's a bit heartbreaking. Some of you guys have front row seats for this, and we do as a church at some level. All churches do. Went on and said the de-churching phenomena is a tremendous source of pain for many at the familial level. I, the author Mike, was talking with a woman recently who, was, who has four adult children. They all grew up in the church and in Christian schools. This woman is one of the kindest, godliest, and sincerest people I have ever known. She's a fabulous mom and overall person. However, three of her four kids don't go to church and are completely done with Christianity. Imagine her pain. That just hit a nerve for a bunch of people in this room. We have spent countless pastoral hours talking, praying, and agonizing with parents and grandparents who are in anguish over their family members who have left the church. How did this leaving happen? How did this disinterest happen? Hebrews 4.2 says, For good news came to us, just as it did to them, speaking of the wilderness wanderers, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This, this is teaching something, and it's also teaching something. It's teaching that when your heart gets disengaged, the very things that are worthy, eternal, and powerful can stop affecting you. That's sobering. But what happens when this stops affecting you? Can I just tell you when this and this stop benefiting you? See ya. We're busy people. We're Americans. We live in an age of prosperity. We got more options than anybody else on the planet. We can find something else to do with our time. Because whatever's going on here and whatever's going on in here, I don't kind of see the benefit which makes me ask this question to every one of us. What benefit are you looking for? What you looking for? What benefit do you really want in your life? Because when that gets into your heart and it informs your values, 
all the rest of your life will answer to it. So what, what benefit are you looking for? You do re- remember, uh, this is not just, about, well, if the church would do this and the church would do that and the, the church was more like this and the church was more like that. Yeah, yeah, the church has always had problems. It's never had a day that didn't have a problem. Remember the dead people in Acts chapter five? I mean, people died when they came to church because they were liars. So the church always has problems in it. Jesus, when your heart's in the wrong place, couldn't attract a crowd. Remember the Jesus in John chapter six, when Jesus decides to break some news to them about what the new covenant's really all about. And he freaks the audience out and they leave. They lost interest. Here, this guy who's gathering a crowd, saying incredible things. He couldn't keep that crowd. They just decided this is a little bit too out there. I don't think so. And they left. And Jesus turns to his little bitty crowd that was left with him, his little disciple group. And he turns to them and he says, you guys want to go too? You remember what they said, right? Hey, Jesus, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So you just learned, yeah, you just learned what one crowd wanted and what another crowd wanted. You just learned the condition of the hearts. This other crowd was listening for something that they weren't hearing. And when they didn't hear it, they went away. All right, that's unfortunately the condition of our world today. And you know what's interesting? I've really, I haven't struggled with this. I've just been very aware of it. Hebrews chapter one and chapter two is sort of the starting point of all this letter of Hebrews that continues to tell us, consider Jesus, consider Jesus, consider Jesus. But have you listened to what it's asked you to consider about him? And do you really want that benefit? Right. Jesus is described as the great high priest and the apostle of our confession. The high priest, the one who can go before God on our behalf and then come to us. You, would you like that? Is that valuable to you? He's the reconciler and restorer of mankind to the presence of the father. Does, does that sound like it's beneficial or not? He upholds all things. He is the one managing the universe that exists and he calls us into relationship with him. Is that a benefit my heart really, really treasures and wants? How about that big word we broke out a couple of weeks ago, propitiation. Jesus brings propitiation. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't even know what that word meant. And then we learn that that word means that God in his righteousness and holiness needs to be satisfied because his response to sin is judgment and anger. Do you want to know why modern man doesn't seek that benefit? Because they don't believe in an angry God anymore. He doesn't need to be satisfied. He'll get over it because he's a God of love, you see. And love can just go blind to everything. No, 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 no. In love, what God is going to do, he's going to pick up every detail of sin and put it on his son. He's not going to overlook any of it. It's going to be put on his son, which makes his son stand out all the more. It makes him our propitiation. Listen, and and part part of this, I would blame for our culture right now, at this moment in the history of the church, I would blame on seeker-sensitive churches and pastors. 
who decided what's really most important is not the representation of God accurately, but the appeal to man and what will reach him. What can I say to man to get you to be interested? Oh, you don't like the idea that there's a righteous God that you're cut off from because he is so holy. He would incinerate you in a second. You don't like that? How about you just come to our church where everybody's welcomed and everything's, everything's allowed. And hey, everything's okay. And that's been taught for decades now. For decades. So what do I need in this life? What benefit am I looking for? Well, I've been taught by these pastors to value a good life. Uh, wealth. Success, being in positions of authority and influence because that's what God would want for me on this earth. See, I want those things. I want that benefit. Who taught you that? The church taught me that. So I read Hebrews chapter one and two and I'm like, hey, when does this get to the good stuff? What does this start talking about me being a king and running everything and being with power and having faith that can move anything and do anything and accomplish anything that I dream of? When do I get to have my dreams? Where is that in Hebrews 1 and 2? Hebrews 1 and 2 stands up that which is ultimately beneficial to us. It screams out to our value system. But when my value system gets way over here, I go deaf. And I can't hear how valuable that is stuff is oh happy day and what happened Jesus washed my sins away oh happy day how valuable is that unfortunately in the hustle and bustle of an American life it doesn't get much press we're taught to value other things and to be wowed by them and to think our lives would be incredible if we could just have that. Jesus turns around and says, no, you can have an incredible life. First thing that's got to happen is you got to be restored to God and your sins have to be forgiven and then the floodgates of heaven will open into your existence from the God who loves you. That's what needs to happen for us to have a good life. When the psalmist prays in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your word. Lord, open. These are the eyes he's asking to be opened. So that when I hear who you are and what you've done, I go, wonderful. My heart has to say that. Not just my head. Luke 21, verse 34. Jesus said, but watch yourselves, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Two of those words, some of us can easily dismiss, right? Well, I'm so glad that's way in my past. Dissipation and drunkenness, I hadn't showed up in decades for me. How about the next one? cares of this life. What gets weighed down by those things? Your heart, the listening device inside of you gets overgrown and crowded and under the influence of its noise and weighed down and concerned about what's next and how to and what did that person say and how do I fix this and what if I get that job when I can move here? And that noise goes off in my heart. It is deafening. And it weighs down 
hearts. Jesus said one more thing. I want to highlight this, and I want to say it in a way that I think a younger generation uh, needs to hear, because this is not said enough. And this verse says it. This is what happens when you read the Bible, and it takes you to verses you didn't care to read. So this is a little uncomfortable, but it's necessary. So we've talked about the wilderness wandering heart. How about just the plain old ugly heart? The ugly heart life. What's the old saying they used to say? Beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes clear to the bone, baby. (laughs) Let's talk ugly for a second. Because when your heart gets hearing impaired, things get ugly. Your heart needs to hear and see God. It's where we get humility from. It's where joy comes from. It's, It's where perspective comes from. So when I stop hearing, everything about my life starts to just get uglier and uglier. And Jesus picked up on that when he rebuked the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. You hypocrites. They stood up words and ideas. They had meetings. They had stuff flowing through people's ears, but they stopped paying attention to whether or not any of it was reaching their hearts. And if you know anything about New Testament pharisaical religion, it is harsh, it is proud, it is critical. It's everything a Christian shouldn't want to be. But it, it existed and it created an atmosphere amongst people who call themselves religious and following God. Can I, can I just pick that, that possibility up and transport it maybe out of this setting? This, that can happen in us here. But do you know how many marriages can become pharisaical? And you haven't thought this that at some point you've become hearing impaired in your heart and you don't hear or see the wonder of God. Therefore, you're obnoxious to be married to. And you pull Bible verses out on people like you're a policeman with a ticket writing book. Slap this on your husband. Tell your wife this. You don't. Well, yeah, and, and we just the Pharisee of religious belief and everything we can remember about marriage. Oh, this people honors me with their lips. Here, I'm going to use this on you. Hey, babe, hold still. I got some Bible verses for you. But we tend to think I could could go to a marriage seminar and get that fixed. Well, yeah, maybe you could get some help. Yeah, that'd be good. But you understand everything in your life is theological. Everything in your life is theological. If you keep a small God and you got a big marriage conference book on your hands, can I just tell you, whatever you experience will be very short-lived. You need a big God who you see and hear accurately in your heart. Because then he can say whatever he wants to you from whatever Bible page he would like to. And you'll take responsibility for yourself which the Pharisees did not. But Hebrews is going to use a bunch of words here that they're not pretty words to describe what's going on in this moment when your heart goes deaf. In chapter 3, verse 8, the rebellion. Their behavior was rebellion. This is people in the wilderness. Well, they're in the wilderness, Keith. Come on, man. They're having a hard time. How would you like to be in the wilderness? I think I understand how difficult that must have been. Well, me too. And the Bible turns around and says, their act was rebellion. It was rebellion. 
than in chapter 3, verse 12. They always go astray in their heart. And then it says they have an evil, unbelieving heart. These are not pretty words, are they? On the inside, that deaf heart is being described as an evil, unbelieving heart. Chapter 4, verse 6, they fail to enter because of disobedience. Disobedience is not pretty. Disobedience doesn't sound like I just kind of fell into something, does it? Disobedience means I knew to do differently and I refused. Chapter 5, verse 11 is going to end up pulling all this stuff into this moment when it says, you, you have become dull of hearing. Right? That verse is going to say, I, the writer is going to say, I wish I could teach you more, but you've become dull of hearing. Right? So these are not pretty words. In this de-churching phenomena that we're seeing, there are people who are moving away from another set of people. That's what they're doing. They have found fault. They don't like what's been imposed upon them. They don't like the clash of ideas. They don't like the way they've been made to feel. And so there's a little bit of a self-justifying distance. Well, if you and they did, and there was this person in the church, and, and you know, I don't know how many guys I'm insulting who are online right now. I hope not too many. But sometimes distance is about those people over there. But Hebrews is not about those people. It's about your own heart. So I wrote in your outline, note, deconstruction and distancing oneself from your former faith community is not merely what victims of imposed beliefs do. It is also what disobedient rebels do who let their hearts grow dull and have their own reasons for letting their hearts go astray. I just made everybody not like me. Your heart has its own reasons to go astray. And then the Bible's gonna break out words like your heart is disobedient your heart is full of unbelief. You are a rebel against what God has for you. I don't, I don't hear that in all fairness. I don't hear that in the generational Christian culture war, right? In their book, The Great Dechurching, they highlight the dechurching phenomenon has become disruptive between multiple generations of family members, causing two-way relational tension between parents and grandparents and their adult children. That is no quick fix. Among de-churched evangelicals, about two-thirds expressed that their parents' evangelical faith played a role in pushing them away from the church. Much of this tension can be summarized by either a difference in political vision or in one's effective posture toward culture and society. All right, that's a real live issue right there. That there is a generation that's younger than another generation. That when it comes to politics, cultural activity, and societal values there's a different reaction taking place between an older generation and a younger generation. I will, I'm going to say this briefly, and I've said it before. If, 
whichever group you're in, be careful. None of those issues are the gospel. Your politics is not the gospel. You are not here on planet earth to spread democracy to the ends of the world. You are here to bring the kingdom of God into the darkness of this fallen kingdom. And we may disagree on a bunch of stuff. And there's going to be societal issues, but these these noisy little issues are rising to the level that there is. Listen, I have had too many conversations in this category, and we have not been spared of this. There is rifts and divisions between family members who can't seem to find the gospel to be bigger than some of these issues. That's a problem. But let me stay true to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. If you're a younger person, especially, and you are bothered by the way in which your parents or others have conducted themselves, have failed in their Christian enterprise, have engaged the world in a way that offends you, and in some ways that's deserved and understood. But be aware of the warning in this passage. Your distance, your separation from God and from his people and from his activity, you own a piece of that. You are not exempt from unbelief, disobedience, rebellion. You are not exempt from that, neither am I. At any moment, life can bring something to me that I've got to interact with it that I can go down the road of unbelief. It starts, you know, unbelief's a little softer word, right? Maybe even fear before it gets to unbelief. And then unbelief. And then in my unbelief, I've constructed something I cannot do. So therefore, I become disobedient. And then I get a little bit more entrenched in disobedience. And now, there ain't no way I'm going to do that. I've become rebellious. And that's a Bible passage for every Christian in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. None of us are exempt from that. But this is good news for every marriage, every young person, every rift, every breakdown, everything that contributes to our distance issues. This verse makes my heart my responsibility. And I'd love to join the bandwagon of our culture and blame everybody else for what's going on in my heart. It almost sounds weird to say, no, 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 no. Your heart, it's your responsibility. By the grace of God and the power of God, you're to keep watch on your heart. And I'm to keep watch on my heart. So if I'm going deaf to God, I don't need to blame everybody else around me. Jesus wasn't doing a bad job when all the people said, eh, we don't want that, Oh. You think his disciples pulled him on the side and said, Jesus, can I see your notes and your outline? What the heck? I don't think I would have said that. You know, you probably needed to rethink this because next time people don't want to hear this, man. It wasn't the message that was the problem or the messenger. It was deaf hearts who didn't want to listen to that. And we're going to pull up to this verse soon, maybe in two weeks. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 is gonna take all this incredible resume of Jesus 
and stick it in this verse. Let us then, verse 16 of chapter 4, let us then with confidence, and chapters 1 and 2 are going to read the reasons for our confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. For the first time in Hebrews, you're going to be told to draw near. You're going to be told about half a dozen more times in this book to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, here's the time of need I want to interact with this morning. And I don't want any, please, please don't hide in this room this morning. What if my time of need is I am in a season of my life where my heart has grown dull, distant, disobedient. My heart is becoming deaf to God. I attend meetings, but there's not really much impact. I I read my Bible from time to time and I don't receive much benefit. This passage is trying to educate us that we just can't hear with these ears and see with these eyes. The heart has to see. And when it stops seeing, distance is going to occur. Remember how many words of drift we've already talked about in Hebrews? Drifting happens when my heart goes deaf. So maybe coming close to God this morning is about being honest about where I am and and being able to say, Lord, I'm here this morning. I'm going deaf on the inside. I don't hear you anymore. You're at a distance from me. I feel dull. I feel cold. God, you said there was mercy and grace available for me if I would come near to you. Lord, I'm coming near to you. You understand you can be in this building and not come near God. You do know that, right? If you're going to come near, you're going to make a faith-filled decision of your will to come near to God. Being here doesn't put you near to God. I don't know how to say that. Come near to God when by faith I move from my secure other location for all the reasons that put me there. I abandon them and I come near to him for whatever reasons he has for me. Let's stand up together. We just sat through a message, not our first. Read words from the Bible, not the first time. We heard, we listened, we saw. We were informed about other people who have heard and listened and seen, and yet they didn't see. And they listened, but they didn't learn. They heard, but they didn't hear. And you don't want us to join that crowd. Lord, I know that there are some here this morning who just need this moment, Lord, to own it for themselves. This is a verse in Hebrews 
That's not asking for God to do something. It's asking for us to do something. And God, thank you that you already are on the move. Lord, before we ever move, you are already on the move. You have already initiated. You've already revealed something to us. You're way down the road already. So Lord, you are engaging every heart here this morning. You are welcoming hearts hearts that have been distant. And I just want to invite you, if you've been distant from God, just be honest with him this morning. Tell him that. God, I've been distant. I've been disinterested. I've been busy. I've been distracted. Well, I don't feel like I'm hearing things from you. I don't feel like you're interacting with me. I I don't feel it, Lord. And this verse is not asking me to blame you. It's asking me to consider me. Or maybe I've become weighed down, as you described through Luke. Weighed down. Maybe for some it's weighed down with vices. Are you here this morning? watching online, your life is weighed down. Your heart can become distant because of dissipation and drunkenness and pornography and things that you seek for pleasure. Be honest with God. The reason those things get sought is to distract you from the emptiness, the loneliness, the day-to-day God wants to be your distraction. He wants you to take your wilderness or your wandering or wherever you are and he wants you to come to him and be fully distracted by him. Let him absorb your loneliness. Let him be bigger than your pain. Let him heal you. Let him reveal something about himself that transcends everything else in this world. Maybe your weightiness is not some vice. It's just the cares of life. The hectic schedule, the busy pace, long list of people, the responsibilities, the schedule of school and work and activities and sports. And Lord, those things can make us go deaf in our hearts. They become so noisy. Lord, we want to be a people that Hebrews reaches. Lord, could you, could you help us do that? Be a church that didn't just hear a study of Hebrews, but Lord, we heard it along the way. Its voice resonates in us to where once we were a people deaf in our hearts, busy with our ears. But you changed that, Lord. Our time in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4 opened a new door for us. Lord, would you do that this morning all around this auditorium, all around people who are watching? Lord, would you break through the hearing impairment of our lives? Lord, would you draw near to us as we draw near to you this morning? Would you let us begin to hear your voice again, receive the reward of it, the benefits? Lord, this word's supposed to benefit us. God, let it start benefiting us again. Let it start finding us again in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our relational struggles. Lord, I know you have a lot to say to each of us and you know where each of us are living. 
Or maybe some are going home to a difficult marriage or going to work to solve a difficult relational breakdown or facing some financial noise. Lord, the one thing we're after, Lord, our heart needs to hear you and our heart needs to see you. So God, here we are as a church, followers of Jesus. Lord, would you once again help my heart to hear you, help my heart to see you. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week after the Saints win.